relationships and our words. All right, so Ivy and I restarted the office and um, anticipating um, probably like holding uh, our little girl in the next couple days. And I need a show that's like comforting to me and that will get me through these sleepless nights. And so I need Michael Scott to be my friend uh, during these next few months and years. So I have an easy office trivia question for you tonight. Okay, here's the question. What does Dwight insist that his title is at Dunder Mifflin? What does he insist, Dwight, what does Dwight insist that his, his title is at Dunder Mifflin? You might know that it's this, the assistant regional manager, assistant regional manager. And then the lights came on. Uh, but Michael says this. Michael doesn't like this. Michael always responds, assistant to the regional manager. Assistant to the regional manager. Now, what Michael and Dwight both know and what they're tapping into is the power of words. The power of words. And they know with or without the single word to makes all the difference on how Dwight sees himself in the workplace, on how Michael relates to Dwight in the workplace. One word makes all the difference. Words are powerful. Words wound us. Words heal us. Words matter. Words shape our hearts. If we say something enough, our hearts will start believing what we say. If we hear something, a single message from someone, we'll start to believe that over time about the world and about our own lives. Words are powerful. And we're going to ask this question tonight. What would it look like to grow up in our speech? Because that's what the Apostle Paul is deeply concerned about with the church at Ephesus. He wants them to become adults in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And so what does it look like to grow up with our words? I'm going to read the passage and we're going to walk through it. This is God's Word. He's not silent. He's spoken. And He's spoken not to give us a theology exam to ace or book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because He loves us. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a very struggling church. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Therefore, uh, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he has also descended into low regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. All along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. All right, we're going to manage our time this way. You can you see the points there. Point one is God's word, and second, our words. God's word, and then our words. Let's do the first one. All right, so when before we talk about our words, we have to start the way the Bible starts, with God's word. So it would be very easy for this just to be like, hey, look, let's just talk about a Christian speech ethic. Here are the do's and don'ts. Cross these T's, dot these I's. But before we do that, we've got to talk about God's word. And the Apostle Paul wants, to see a couple, wants us to see a couple things. The first is this. God's word is a life-giving word. God's word is a life-giving word. Look at verse 1 again. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of life uh, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in verse 4, there's one body and spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. Call, 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 call. Paul is all about that. Of course he is, because he himself was called by God. Paul wants to draw the Ephesian church's attention to the features of God's life-giving word. He is saying, God has spoken. He is not silent. And he has spoken to you. And God's speech is a speech that engages, it initiates, it equips. God's word gives life. It is a life-giving, it is an active word that moves around in the world, that hovers around the waters of creation. Because you know this, that God spoke life into Adam and Eve and then called them to name the animals to in the garden, bear his image out in the world. They were called by God. They received life from God's words. God initiated Abraham and called him to leave the country and to trust him along the way. God initiated and called the Apostle Paul from being a persecutor of the church to being its greatest missionary. When God speaks, stuff happens. Stuff moves around. Life moves into the shadow of death. When God speaks, he does so by giving and calling us to new life. If you see the way that God like zooms in on specific people like Abraham, like Paul, we could go on. David and Matthew and the woman at the well. When he zooms in on them to speak, he does so to give them new life. He also speaks truth. 
God's word is also truthful. It's not just life-giving. If you look at verses 15 and 25, you'll see that the Apostle Paul is urging the Ephesian church to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. We're going to talk more about how we do that, but I just want us to understand that to speak the truth in love is to speak simply as Jesus spoke. It's to speak like Jesus spoke. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, that Jesus does not lie. He cannot lie. He is truth embodied. He's the word made flesh. And we need true words. We need true words like right now, like tonight. We need true words in our digital age characterized by information overload. We need truthful words to pierce through the fog of our news feeds, the fog of our minds, and the disorientation and confusion of our hearts. We need truth to pierce through all of that. And that's the kind of word that Jesus speaks, true words. One of my friends from seminary who's now an REF campus minister in another school one of the smartest people I know, he'll go on to do PhD work at some point and do something important in academia that I don't understand. And he also kind of gets in his own head about his intellectualism. He kind of actually is ironically insecure about it. He thinks that when he's kind of left to himself, like, I'm too abstract in my thinking, I'm not practical enough. I don't like meet college students where they are and their roommate drama and their dating drama and their anxiety about tests. Like, I just want to be up in the clouds doing theology. That's kind of where he lives. And he had this conversation with one of his mentors a few years ago, and this is what his mentor said to him. Christ is your life, and he has made you this way, and the church needs you to do what you are good at. Christ is your life. Your identity is in him. And the church needs you to do what you are good at. And then here's what my friend said. I'm 100% sure that he does not remember telling me that, but it really freed me up. He doesn't remember even saying that, but it freed him up. The truth, those words of truth set my friend free. They really did. And now he kind of moves around in his job after that conversation in a freedom that he never had before. A security in who God has made him. True words tell us who we are. They tell us reality about who God is and how he's made the world. And it pierces through, that truth pierces through all the falsehood that we hear and the noise of the world and the noise of our own hearts. And that is how God speaks. He cannot lie. When he speaks, you can take it to the bank. You can actually trust his word. So um, his word is also not just truthful. His word is gracious. His word is gracious. God's words are also words of grace. In our passage, Paul, the missionary and church father and theologian of grace, no one talked about grace like the Apostle Paul. He talked about, did you notice this, that God bestowed uh, gracious gifts on the church, the, the apostles, the evangelists, all these people. They were in need. They need God speaks and bestows gifts on needy people. We talked all last week about 
uh, pride and how it makes us like stiff-arm God from admitting that we actually are needy and that we need help. But God, when he speaks, he speaks to beggars. He speaks to hungry people and thirsty people, right? That's who he speaks to. We need to be equipped. We need to be forgiven. That's who God speaks to. And so Christ uttered the words from the cross, it is finished. That's what he said. Who did he say that to? Sinners who need to be forgiven. And in those words, those last words before Jesus died, those words secured and pointed to the reality that Jesus has secured your life in his death. We're needy. He speaks with grace. God's word is a word not of condemnation, but of mercy. All right, so we've said that God's word, it gives life, it tells the truth, and then it bestows grace. Do you actually believe that about God's word? Well, in, in many ways, I want to ask this, like, I know many of you guys grew up in the church. You've heard a lot of Bible. You've heard a lot of Bible talk. Um, how do you relate to the Bible, to God's word? Uh, what's your, like, gut reaction I don't know what that I don't know what that is for you. I do know that it's extremely easy for us to get so like churched up in our theology vocabulary and our Bible reading plans that we just kind of forget how magical God's word is by his spirit. Um and honestly like I one of the reasons I think it's actually difficult for us to take God at his word is because when we get into the Bible and we start talking about the Bible being authoritative, and maybe like people of authority, when they try to tell us the truth, it never ends well for us. And it's hard for us to trust anyone who's in authority. Because when we trust someone who's in authority, they like leave us or something, or they lie to us. They contribute to our shame and our condemnation. So it's hard for us to actually hear those words that Jesus will never lie to you, because, like, people have lied to you. So, again, I just want to ask, like, diagnostic question. I want to ask your, you, and I, I think it would be good for you to ask yourself, like, how do you relate to this, like, really old book? How, does, how do you relate to the Bible? Do we believe that God's Word is the truth? Um, honestly, I think also one of the reasons that we can balk at God's Word um, is that we, again, hear the fogginess when we wake up in the morning from our news feeds and our minds and our own hearts out in the world that tell us, that try to claim to tell us the truth about the world, that tr- to claim to tell us the truth about what it means to be forgiven, to be enough, to be a flourishing human being. And so it's really difficult for you just to hear another form of authority say, no, 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 no. This is what it means to be human. I just want to urge you and encourage you by being able to receive. Like, God will not lie. You are hearing lots of noisy voices that are saying all kinds of things when you wake up in the morning, and I realize that. I hope it's comforting just to hear that God won't lie, and when he speaks, it's true words, it's life-giving words, it's gracious words. Now let's talk about our words. Let's talk about our words. Now, we began, again, by talking about God's Word because our speech is always answering speech. Our speech always comes after God's speech. In many ways, the Christian speech ethic is just trying to figure out ways to echo God's Word back into the world. We're just trying to figure out how to echo God's Word 
to echo God's speech. And so we're called to speak words of life. We're called to speak words of life. If you look at verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that's good for building up. It fits the occasion. We're called with our words to build others up, to speak words of life, words of unity rather than disunity. And if you have been on social media at any point in your life, not just in 2020, but at any point in your life, you know that we do not know how to talk to each other, at least online. We do not know how to do this. And if you'll read the comment section of the major news outlets tonight and the rest of the week, you will see that we do not know how to speak. We are like children. And to speak words of life is a truly and fundamentally countercultural act right now. To speak words of life and grace and tenderness is countercultural because no one is doing it. No one is doing it. Uh, and not only that, when we echo God's words of life, that's what they, God not just doesn't want to speak life-giving words to you. He wants to speak through you to the world. You hear that? So when we echo God's word of life out into the world, he's wanting not just to speak words of life to you, but to speak to the world through you and your words. One of my favorite movies is Good Will Hunting. I've talked about this movie a lot over the years. And if you know this movie, you know that it's Good Will Hunting is about an orphan named Will, played by Matt Damon, who also is a math genius and he lives in Boston. Will finds himself seeing a therapist every week, and this therapist is named Sean, played by Robin Williams, one of my favorite characters of all time. And Will has gone through as an orphan all kinds of trauma and pain and physical, emotional abuse in his life. And that's why one of the reasons that he's seeing Sean. And in one of the therapy sessions, Sean begins to review some of Will's history with the abuse and trauma, and he starts pulling pictures out of the file. And there are bruises all over Will's body. Each picture has a, a different wound that has been inflicted on Will from foster families getting, fight, getting in fights in, streets, in the streets. He refers to one of the the wounds that was in the picture of getting hit by a foster dad with a crowbar. And the trauma and weight of Will's abuse like leaves this palpable silence in the room and this kind of epic scene between Sean and Will in, their, in, the, um, in the office. And so I remember seeing this the first time, like what could a therapist say in that moment to give life, to give encouragement or just to simply respond to the pain and intensity of this moment. And then Sean looks at Will and he says these magic words, if you've seen the movie, he says to Will, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Will responds, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know it's not. And then Will responds, or Sean responds to Will by saying, no, it's, it's not your fault. He says it again. And then Will like kind of gets uncomfortable and awkward and you can feel this and he kind of goes, no, I get, I get it. Like, I understand. It's not my fault. And he's like, Sean doubles down and says, it is not your fault and says it very slowly. And you can hear a pin drop obviously in the movie and it is such an important scene in the movie and Will just explodes in tears and sobs 
and embraces Sean and cries like a really scared little boy in the moment. And those words end up changing Will's trajectory of his life. He goes from being a wounded, cynical, arrogant kid who is frankly just like a punk to everyone around him. He's a great example of just like hurt people hurt people. People who have been through pain want everyone around them to experience pain. That's Will's story. He goes from that to becoming someone who has like his innocence restored in him to a child trying to figure out what it looks like to trust people again. So he goes out on dates for the first time and he expresses vulnerability on his dates. He lets people in. Those words changed Will. Those words were words of life. And God longs to speak to this hurting world through you to the world. These words of life through your words. So we're not just to, to, call, uh, to, to speak words of life. We're also to speak the truth and love. The truth and love. If you look at verse 25 and also in 15, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking the truth and love in 15, we're to grow up. In every way, who's in Jesus Christ, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together in every joint with which it's equipped. Each part working together makes the body grow. And then verse 25, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for members of one another. So the Apostle Paul is saying, if you're speaking the truth without love, you're being childish. He's also saying, you could do that inversely, if you're speaking like loving, sappy words with no truth, you're being childish. That's what he's saying. And remember, week one, the first love. What is love? When we went to 1 Corinthians 13, the classic wedding text, love is patient, love is kind. When Paul goes on that rant, when he says, if I have prophetic powers and I preach like no one else, when I plant all these churches, and if I have not love... I'm like a child. I have nothing. That's what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesians, not just to the, to the church uh, in Corinth. To grow up means you refuse to tell lies. You tell the truth. But you only speak truthful words for the common good of your neighbors. My mentor in St. Louis puts it this way. He just said in a sermon once, truth spoken cruelly is a lie. Truth spoken cruelly is a lie. One of the most obvious areas that we need to grow up in speaking the truth and love, y'all, is conflict. I don't know how to do conflict. You don't know how to do conflict. We don't know how to do conflict. We don't know how to do it. In conflict, some of you struggle so much with speaking up and telling someone the truth who you love. And so when your roommate or close friend continues in their patterns of self-destructive behavior, you struggle to actually tell your friends the truth and challenge them with your words. You struggle with this, and you need to grow up in doing this. I need to grow up in doing this. Others of you are more naturally geared towards challenge. You're really good at that, but your, your words, there's not much grace and love to them. And so rather than constantly reminding your friends of their poor decision-making habits— Perhaps you should grow up in speaking the truth in love or just being simply slow to speak, like don't talk. Practice the godly skill of silence. <laughs> God calls us to echo his words by speaking the truth in love to 
people who are really needing to hear those words. So uh, believe it or not, pastors are not perfect. Um, I'm sort of hinting at this. And uh, again, thinking about being a dad any day now, all kinds of sin in my life are about to pop up into the surface of my life, and I'm going to have to deal with it. And one of the um, struggles that I've had for as long as I can remember is what the Bible calls approval of man. In short, just like people-pleasing. Like, that's, that's like the thorn in the side, Matt Patrick sin that I have to, like, daily deal with, okay? That's where I am. And I was meeting with one of my mentors, who I mentioned earlier in St. Louis during my seminary years. And he looked at me one time and he said, Matt, out of love for you, we're talking about people-pleasing stuff. And he said, Matt, out of love for you, the tendency for you to be intoxicated by praise and approval you need to kill it. He said, you need to kill it. Out of love for you, you need to kill it. It was hard to hear that. It felt weighty when he told me that. I vividly remember where and when he said that to me. I love that he said that to me. I needed to hear that. He was speaking the truth in love to me. And it kind of stung. So this is not easy. I'm not trying to romanticize or idealize speaking the truth in love. This takes skill. My mentor said that was in his 70s when he said that. So there's weight to his voice. He's been trying to do this for a long time. So we're to speak the truth in love to a, a wounded world and our, those who are in our lives, our neighbors. We're also to speak words of grace, not just the truth in love, but also words of grace. If you look at 31 and 32 again, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, get all of it out. One translation says, Eugene Peterson in the message says, uh, make a clean break with all of it. And I love that. Don't even deal with it. Get all of it away. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Paul is saying, if you want to grow up in your faith, you've got to forgive one another with your speech. If you want to grow up in your faith, you've got to get, forgive one another with your speech. You've got to be kind. You've got to walk with humility. Why? Because that's how Jesus walked and talked. Just as God has forgiven you, you're to forgive others. Jesus' speech ethic, he then says, like, don't just walk like I walk, talk like I talk. It would be a fascinating like, exercise for you if you read one of the four, four Gospels. Don't just watch and observe and study how Jesus like moves around in the world. Watch and observe and take note of how he talks to people. Who he talks, when he talks, when he backs off and doesn't talk. And how that infuriates people. How that challenges people. How it's like the exact word, it fits the occasion. He's a master at this. You might... Uh, remember these bracelets, the WWJD bracelets. You might be wearing one. Um, I don't know, but these were like insanely popular um, like in evangelical culture when I was growing up. You might remember them. Um, uh, the idea is simple. How would Jesus live if he had your life? How would Jesus live if he had your life? Another question would be, I guess the initials here would be HWJS. How would Jesus speak? Someone make a bracelet and give me credit so I can get a bunch of money from it. Just kidding. Not kidding. Um, how would Jesus speak, y'all? How would he speak? 
If he had your life with your relationships, your roommates, your professors, your parents, your non-Christian friends, how would he speak? When would he speak? We're going to consider a couple things on our way out for us to chew on. And there, again, I, I wanted to say this at the beginning. There is an, no way for us to cover in any, like just like when we talked about friendship and dating and marriage and sex, there's no way that in one talk we can do like a comprehensive theology of like a speech ethic, okay? But rather looking at one text to get the conversation started. So in the same way of like applying this and becoming skilled people with our tongues and our speech, there's no way we can cover all of it. I just want to highlight three things. And the first, I want, to, I want us to chew on this one, okay? The first is this. We must be honest about the fact that our words reveal the state of our hearts. Our words reveal the state of our hearts. The Bible is clear. If your words are biting and cynical, and judgmental, then your words reveal the state of your heart. The reality is that you are cynical. You are judgmental. If there's a pattern in your life and there's a theme of judgmental speech, your words are saying something. Your words are saying something about your heart. If you speak with anger and you get defensive when you're challenged, it's because your heart is angry. It's not just your words. Your words aren't just defensive. You are defensive. Your, your heart is, is, is actually revealing, your words are actually revealing your heart. And so, if you're in social settings and you have this pattern of being socially dominant, of always trying to bring the attention on yourself, and you're trying to use your words and the gravitas and charisma that you have, that you've had your whole life, to mask your insecurity and addiction to praise, your words and charisma is masking the fact that you are so scared. Your words reveal the state of your heart. And if you encourage your roommate who's still struggling with depression, who, like, the medication is still not working, and you're still listening, and you're encouraging them, then your words are revealing something about your heart. That your kind words are revealing that you are kind. And your patient posture in listening is revealing the state of your heart that you're actually patient. The words that we speak or don't speak is revealing the state of our hearts. The second is this. We represent Jesus Christ with our words. This is going to sting. Y'all got to gear up with me on this, okay? I'm talking, and if you don't know know where you are with Jesus tonight, I'm so glad. No matter what you believe, no matter what you're done, I hope you can come. I hope you can feel welcome. I'm going to talk to Christians for a second. Your words, when you speak, you are representing Jesus with your words, On social media, you are representing Jesus with your words. In political discourse this week, when you're frustrated with whoever wins or whoever doesn't win, be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. What would a non-Christian think about Jesus based on your words? We have got to ask that question of ourselves. I've got to ask that question. And I get way too unfiltered and loose tongue and say whatever I want way too often when I'm comfortable with people. And I'm representing Jesus and his church with my speech. And I need to be reminded of that. And you need to be reminded of that. That's second. Third is this. This takes practice. So you might be, this takes practice. So your words reveal the state of your heart 
But what if, what if your heart is not kind? You're like the judgmental person that I mentioned. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Welcome to the club. How do you get your heart to change? And um, well, you practice. If you want your heart to be kind, say kind words. Practice kind speech and your heart will follow your words. Get the reps in of speaking the truth and love. Get the repetition in and speaking words of patient, patience and your heart will become patient over time. It just will because it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. He's so committed to this. The Spirit, spirit of Jesus is more committed to changing your heart with your words and I don't know the relationship between the two than you are. It's so mysterious. He's more committed to it than you are, thankfully, than I am. So get the reps in. This takes practice. And this happens through the span. It's not overnight. It's not. But if you want to be kind in your heart, say words of kindness and so on. We could work that out for another sermon, but we're not going to. This is the last thing I want to say. Jesus has the last word. Jesus has the last word. All right, so as Christians, we're called to live a life where we speak the truth in love. We're on this lifelong journey growing up, becoming more and more like Jesus with our words, hopefully. Our words matter. They have weight. Words affect what we believe, if we say it enough. Everything that I've said, I I hope it's been helpful to you, and, and I think it's what the Apostle Paul has been trying to get us to think. But I just want to say, like, you have heard words in your life that have wounded you. I know that they have. You've told me about words that have been spoken to you. Words that have said that you are unlovable. Words that have said that you are ugly and not attractive. And that no one would ever want to like marry you one day. Words that have said to you like those sins in your life that you can't shake are too severe and too many for Jesus to forgive. So when he said it's finished, he didn't really mean it for you. You've heard words like that. I want to tell you that Jesus will never lie to you. And Jesus' last word of forgiveness over your life really does have the last say in like who you are. If you have a speck of faith in Jesus here tonight, his word has the last word on your life. I want you to hear that. No one else's words can separate you from God's word on you and his love for you.